The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Good morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, As you do that, it's just good to be with you. Uh, It's good to be with you because I love Jacob and Michelle. It's good to be with you because I love our partnership in Sovereign Grace uh, and that we get to support one another in this way. Uh, It's great to be with you because I love New Hampshire. Almost my entire extended family is from New Hampshire and Maine. And so I am very familiar with this area. And to know that there is a a gospel work going on here, like there is uh, among all of you, brings my heart a lot of joy and makes me very, very happy. Uh, So thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for your support. As Jacob said, I, as well, am so thankful for our partnership through Sovereign Grace Churches. All churches are united, all gospel preaching churches are united uh, throughout the world, but there's a joy in having specific relationship with certain churches. And so uh, for us to plant in Newark, Delaware, it's not Newark, because that's Newark, New Jersey. Newark, Delaware, it's a thing, I don't know. I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning the way. Newark, Delaware. Uh, and to do that, to be walking by faith, not by sight, and to know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ six hours away in Manchester, New Hampshire, doing exactly the same thing week in and week out, coming in, setting up shop, worshiping together, sitting under the authority of God's word. It's just, it gives strength. Uh, It gives hope. It gives courage to continue on. And so thank you for your example. Uh, Very briefly about uh, Newark, Delaware. Uh, I've been a pastor at Covenant Fellowship in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania uh, for for 13 years now. And uh, all along that time, we have talked about planning a church and have been praying about where to go. uh, many different locations. We pray often as a as a pastoral team about where we want to plant new churches. Uh, Newark's always been on the radar. It hasn't always been on my radar. I grew up in New Jersey, and the only way to respond to New Jersey jokes was to say, at least I'm not in Delaware. Uh, but now I'm in Delaware, so the Lord has a sense of humor. So, uh, but we're we're overjoyed to be there because as we prayed about all the different locations, this this really rose to the to the top of the list for a number of reasons. Uh, we have a, a group of folks coming to Covenant Fellowship from Newark, and ha- they've been coming for probably six, seven, eight years uh, and asking for a church plan in that area. It's about 40 minutes from our church. So they've been traveling a good distance. And the same way that some of you traveled probably to, to King of Grace for, for many years. Uh, and so they've been asking. And so that obviously captures our attention. Uh, and then as we look at the, the, the area, University of Delaware is right there, uh, a school of 22,000 students, uh, over 4,000 of those students being international students. So there seems to be a very strategic opportunity opportunity uh, to invest into uh, new leaders and to grow a generation who loves Christ and wants to live for Christ. Uh, in addition to that, I, in my opinion, is the most strategic location in Delaware for reaching the rest of Delaware and into Maryland. So uh, we're excited. We have a group just about the size of all of you coming with us, uh, and we are building together already. We're meeting in our home. So so last summer, Ashley and I sold our home in Westchester and bought in, in Newark. We've moved in. We have four kids coming along, uh, excited to be on this journey. We're meeting together. We're praying together. We are, we're getting ready to go. We launch September 9th. So if you would partner with us in prayer, we would be very thankful. We need it very much. And we will be praying for you as we launch as well. All right. We're looking at Luke chapter 10 this morning. I want to talk to you 
from this text about finding the greatest priority for your life. I don't know if you've thought this as well, but in our day, the fast pace of life, the, the amount of distractions all around us, whether that is all the sporting events for your kids, whether that are, is the hours of work spent each week, whether that's all the friends that we need to connect with or all the posts we need to post on social media, we are so often doing many, many, many things each day. And often we're not doing many of them very well and even more severely, while we're doing all those things, we're often missing the most important things. So this text is a wonderful reminder to us of, of the greatest priority for our lives and how we can live unhurried lives before the Lord. So please read with me Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, a simple story from the life of Christ, but that can have significant impact on our lives together. This is the word of God. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. May God bless the preaching of his word. Now let me just begin by instilling all kinds of confidence in you by saying that if ever there was a man who was entirely unqualified to talk about an unhurried life and the right priorities in life, that man would be me. I am weak in this area and I need this message more than anyone in this room. Finding a healthy pace to the routine of life has been and continues to be extremely difficult for me. I, without exaggeration, I can say that it has been the source, my inability to say no to things, right? The inib- it's a small word, no, but I just can't seem to get it down. And I'm constantly adding things into my life into my, and into my calendar. Nothing has been the source of greater conflict in my 13 years of of marriage. Nothing has been more frequently on my job review in ministry than this, my inability to live a simple life, my inability to say no. I, with shame, remember my, my college years with horror. All that I did and how poorly I did it all. One semester... Uh, I had all this going on. I was, I was head RA on campus with all the daily and weekly responsibilities that came with that. I was elected to be chaplain on campus, which meant leading parts of chapel uh, almost every day and starting up weekly prayer meetings on campus. I worked about 20 to 25 hours at UPS from 3 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock in the morning. 
I was a member of a local church 40 minutes away, and I served on the Sunday morning function support team, straightening the chairs. I served in Awana at another church that I was not a member of. I was engaged to be married to a wonderful young lady and made multiple trips around the D.C. Beltway to be with her and her family each week. I was on the student government and responsible for all campus activities. And oh yeah, I was a student, so I had a full load of classes as well. There was one semester I, I would work uh, UPS 3 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the morning, but on the weekends they needed more help. So I would go into UPS at 7 o'clock on Sunday evening, uh, and I would work to, I'm sorry, 10 o'clock Sunday evening, and I would work to 7 o'clock the next morning. I would leave UPS, I would drive back to campus, I would grab some quick breakfast, and then I would go to a three-hour class without sleeping from 9 to 12. I would go to lunch, I would get a little homework done, and then I would go to another three-hour class from 1 to 4. And then I would go to dinner, talk to Ashley for a little while, uh, be faithful to study a little bit, and then I would go to another three-hour class from 6 to 9. After which I would carry out my RA responsibilities, uh, try to calm down and go to sleep around 12.30, only to wake up three hours later to go back to work. There was this one night when after doing all of this, I laid down to sleep and uh, I was hoping to get three hours of sleep. I fell asleep very quickly, only to have a sound wake me up 15 minutes later. But when you're that tired, 15 minutes feels like three hours, so I just assumed it's time to go to work. So I got up and I turned the alarm clock off and I got dressed and I started walking down the hall, not noticing that everybody that I had just said goodnight to 15 minutes later or earlier is still there, still awake, and not thinking that's strange for three o'clock in the morning. Walked to my car like a zombie got in. It wasn't until I hit the guard shack and the guy in the guard sack just starts laughing at me. I'm like, why are you laughing? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He's like, dude, you just said goodnight 10 minutes ago. Go back to bed. It's not time for work yet. And then it was in that moment I realized I have a problem. <laughs> I'm probably trying to do too much. But listen, it's been a long and a difficult road of change for me with many, many failures along the way. Why? Because it's difficult to change in an area that we so often see as godly and mature. For many of us, and I think in the church in particular, busyness often feels like the godly cross that we have to carry for Jesus. But what I have begun to see over the years, and wonderfully what this text has helped me to see, is that being overly busy, being overly committed, being extended to, in too many ways is not necessarily a sign of greater maturity and godliness, but perhaps a sign of a soul that has the wrong priorities functioning. This text, Luke chapter 10, is a text that is so important for those who struggle to manage life and to figure out what to do next. For those of us who fill every night of the week with activity, for those of us who have dozens of plates spinning all at once and think that it's wise to do so, for those of us who have their kids in countless activities and are running haggard trying to figure it all out, this text is helpful for those of us who find greater identity in our many practices and in our many activities than in finding peace before God. This text helps us to understand where our priorities should lie. Because as we see here, God's presence must be the greatest priority in all of our daily activity. 
God's presence must be the greatest priority in all of our daily activity. For the disciple of Christ, for men and women who want to live for Jesus with joy in their hearts and who aren't always condemned and tired by what they're failing to do, God's presence must be the greatest priority in all of our daily activity. Because a lot of activity, even the best activity, without God's presence is of passing value. It's empty. And this text shows this to us so so beautifully and and thoughtfully, I think. Let's consider it together. Three very simple points. They, they, They jump off the page at us as we read. The first point is Martha's activity. The second is Mary's priority. And the third is the Lord's promise, okay? First of all, Martha's activity. Verse 38 Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Gotta be honest, right up front, I kind of like this girl, Martha. I get her. She's hard at work with many things. She's welcoming and hospitable and inviting. She's she's caring. She's, She's trying graciously to provide for her guests. She loves the Lord. She wants to honor him with her life. Martha is is commendable in so many ways. An old author and preacher, J.C. Ryle, said that, that grace reigned in both Mary and Martha's hearts. It just reigned in different ways. Even as we look at the text, the, the fact that, that Martha is mentioned first and that says that she welcomed Jesus into her home, that kind of stands out to us as we study it. That kind of leads us to believe that that she was the oldest in the family and therefore probably felt the greatest amount of responsibility for the home. Uh, Maybe even that her parents had passed away and and now as the oldest child, she feels an increased, increased sense of responsibility to lead her home and to care for both her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. Martha's a servant. She's dependable. She's a hard worker. She got things done. And it's not just that she got things done. It seems that she was eager to do it. So the word in the text, uh, she welcomed him into her home. That, that's not just a passive invite invitation. No, it's an eager invitation. She wants Jesus there. She wants to serve. She wants to minister. So here's the question. Why is Martha the one who is corrected in this passage. I mean, don't we, as the people of God, talk about service a lot? Don't we talk about ministering to one another a lot? Don't we talk about being responsible and being hospitable and being generous with our time and with our energy? Martha seems to be the one, in my opinion, as as I read it, who should be held up as an example for us to follow. So why is she corrected? We have to ask the right questions of the text. If we're not careful, we will find ourselves saying that that Martha was wrong to do things. And that's not right. That's not the point of the text. We have to be careful that we don't indict Martha and her work in a way that the text does not indict her. Martha, Martha does have a problem, but the problem is not in her service. As we look at verse 40, We see that the problem is not in her service, but in that Martha was what? What does it say? Distracted with much serving. 
The Greek word therefore distracted means to be to be encumbered by, to be weighed down by, to be to be hindered by, to be hampered, to be to be distracted in this way. It was not just like a little kid who's distracted when you're trying to to speak to him. It's not just a, a passive distraction. No, this is a distraction that weighed her down and caused her to focus on the wrong things. It's not that the sh- she shouldn't have been serving, is that she, it's that she was encumbered by her service. Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha for doing things, for caring, for serving. He simply says that she is too anxious and troubled by her service. Jesus is, is not about changing all of Martha's actions But listen, friends, he is very, very much about changing her heart and the priority of her heart in the midst of those actions, in the midst of her daily activity, her daily responsibilities. He wants to get at her heart. We can see that that's the point of this passage by by considering the the other stories that, that surround the passage and give it context. So when we read the Gospels, uh, you all are in the Gospel of Matthew, right? So when, when you read the Gospels and study the, the, the Gospels, context helps us understand the point of each story that we read. So in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20, we read that Jesus sends out the 72 uh, disciples to do the work of ministry in the surrounding area. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. He needs laborers just like he needs laborers here in Manchester, New Hampshire. Because there's a great gospel need for gospel work to get done. Work and service matter. They're not a bad thing. Jesus sends them out because he needs laborers. And so the disciples go out and and minister in Jesus' name. And they're effective in the work. And in verse 17, they come back to Jesus and they're thrilled, right, with the effectiveness of their ministry. They say, Lord, even even the demons believe or are subject to us in your name. Jesus, ministry is great. Serving is awesome. Look at all that we're doing for you. But Jesus says in verse 19, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, in what they just celebrated, but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, disciples, listen, doing things is great, but don't be distracted. Don't be focused on what you're doing. No, rather, disciples, be focused on who you are doing those things for. We see it again in the parable of the Good Samaritan a few verses later. Jesus commends not the the priest or the Levite, who I am sure had very full calendars, but who were too busy to follow God's heart of compassion to the man on the side of the road. But he commends Jesus, or he commands the, the, the Samaritan who stopped, who was not too encumbered by his responsibilities to stop with gospel love. In all of that, Jesus is showing us how important our hearts before him are in the midst of our service and our activity. Why? Because God's presence must be the greatest priority in all our daily activity. Friends, perhaps one of the scariest parts about the culture that we live in, both in the world and in the church, is that busyness is seen as valuable and important and even godly. 
If you're busy, if you seem frantic, then you must be important. You must be carrying serious responsibility. God forbid that we have time on our hands, right? And if you do have time on your hands, act like you don't just so that you seem important. Have you ever taken your phone out and just held it up to your face walking through a crowd so it looks like you're preoccupied? No, I have. Sorry. I just, it feels right. I just want to feel important. I want to, people to think that I have something going on. God forbid that our families have multiple evenings in a week where we have nothing going on and we can just be together as a family. Let's fill it with something. It's scary and it's dangerous. I remember when I was a kid, I went to a, a community pool, and there were multiple pools, and so I chose one, and, and it was what I thought was a full-size swimming pool, and so I went running, and I jumped into that pool. Little did I know, it was just a kiddie pool. It was only six inches deep. Thankfully, I didn't go head first. I'll never forget, though, the, the shock that went through my body when I hit that, the bottom of the pool so hard, but we, we are like that. We, with all that we have going on, with all of our responsibilities, all of our relationships, we look like Olympic-sized swimming pools sometimes, waves of influence flowing out all over the place. But when people jump into our lives, we're shallow, and we're lacking joy, and we're lacking depth with the Lord. Friends, much practice, much activity, without the priority of God's presence is of passing value. Martha was doing all good things, and we should all follow her example in her desire and her willingness to, to sacrifice and to serve, but we must be careful as the people of God that we do all of that with Mary's heart, and that we don't do it without the heart of Mary. God's presence must be the greatest priority in all of our daily activity, and we see that in Mary. Our second point, Mary's priority. In the midst of, of Martha's service, <laughs> Martha notices that her little sister Mary is not doing much of anything. She looks over while she's washing the dishes and, and taking out the trash and setting up the, t the table and, and filling the glasses for dinner. And she sees little sister Mary just sitting at Jesus' feet. She's not, she's not even being productive there. She's not knitting socks or anything. She's just sitting at Jesus' feet doing nothing, and she's appalled by that. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have siblings or not, but I've got four brothers and a sister, and I totally get how this probably went down, okay? Like, they probably had enough etiquette not to make a big spat between them in front of Christ. That would be awkward. But Martha's probably walking around and maybe stepping on Mary's toe. Oh, I'm so sorry. Would you come with me into the kitchen, please? I need your help. Maybe Jesus is like teaching on eternal things and, and Martha's behind his shoulder like, I need you in the other room. Like, come on. Finally, when, when Mary doesn't pick up on any of that, Martha has had enough and so she goes right to Jesus. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I can hear her saying it. Sadly, I can hear myself saying it. But the Lord responds quickly and directly with a rebuke. Now, I, I don't imagine that this is a verbally forceful rebuke, but rather a gentle and loving rebuke. We, we kind of see that in how he repeats her name twice. There's care and there's compassion there. Martha, 
Martha, and I just hear him saying this to me in all my frenziedness and all the scatteredness of life. He says to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha, what you're doing is not wrong, but, but how you're doing it is. And Mary has figured out how to do it right. Jesus says, Martha, one thing is necessary. You've missed the one good thing. I just have to pause there before we, we go into the specifics of, of what Mary did because I think it's obvious the, the one good thing here is that she sat at Jesus' feet. She prioritized God's presence. And so even as we come to the beginning of this, I just need to stop and ask, have you missed the one good thing? Have you missed it? Are you, are you, are you weary? Are you anxious and troubled about many things? If you are, let me just invite you along with me just to confess it to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, that's me. I am I'm anxious and troubled about many things and I have lacked the one good thing. I have not turned to you. I have not sat at your feet. The best part about this whole story is how compassionate the Lord is towards Martha. She's all but, but come and yelled at him. She's, she's so bold, but he responds with, with care and compassion because he knows all of our hearts are tempted towards this anxiety and this distraction and this preoccupation. He cares for her and he wants to care for you. Now, it's quite remarkable how little is said about Mary here. In verse 39, it says that Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She sat at his feet and she listened to his teaching. This is Mary's priority and this must be our priority. To sit at someone's feet, biblically speaking, is to show devotion to them and, and a humble willingness to follow them and to, to learn from that. We know that throughout scripture. It's a sign of, of discipleship. So in Luke chapter eight, the man who is healed of his demon possession is said to be found sitting at Jesus's feet. In response to his healing, he's saying, Lord, my life is yours. I am your disciple now. I will follow you. He's giving Jesus his life. In Acts chapter 22, Paul, before his conversion, says that before he was a Christian, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was his disciple. He was learning from his teaching. So Mary is prioritizing discipleship here. Mary, Mary's not opposed to service. She's not opposed to work. In fact, we'll see in a moment how she is still remembered today for one of the greatest acts of service ever done. But... Mary rightly wants her service to be fueled by love for her Savior. She wants to be a disciple on the inside first and then on the outside. Mary's actions here are just a, they're a wonderful picture to us of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at this picture. You have Martha running around doing many things, trying to, to please the Lord, while Mary just sits at his feet. She just sits. 
many religions. Maybe, maybe every religion tries to earn the favor of God through their activity. People try to live good lives and they think that through their lives and their actions they can draw the attention of God to themselves. Not Christianity. With Christianity, you come and you say, I can do nothing. I cannot earn your favor. I can only have your favor through Jesus Christ. And so I sit at his feet and fully receive. Martin Luther said that being saved is getting lost at the feet of Jesus. Being saved is getting lost at the feet of Jesus. The power of the gospel for a run-down and tired world is that in it, God is active and we are passive. God is the one who moves and we receive. God is the one who works and we say thank you. You've given us your grace. You've given us life. And now we rejoice in all that you have done. True Christianity begins, it continues with it, and ends with you and I sitting at the feet of Jesus. Amen? It's our only hope. So what does that mean? What does it mean to prioritize God's presence in the midst of the busyness and craziness of life? Well, I, I love the example of Mary here. We see three things that Mary did. Simple things. Not necessarily easy things, but simple things. Mary left certain things behind. She sat at the feet of Jesus. And she listened to his teaching. And there's great counsel for the church in that. Mary left certain things in order to be with Jesus. Verse 40, Mar Martha complains to the Lord that Mary had left her to serve alone. Mary left something behind. She saw Jesus. She saw how beautiful he is, how worthy he, she, he is. She saw how important it was to be strengthened by his presence. And so she act actively, consciously chose to leave something else behind, even something good and commendable. So let me ask you this, church. Let me ask myself this as I ask you this. What do we need to leave behind in order to have greater peace in the presence of Christ? I don't know what it is. I'm not familiar with your lives. But in my church, it, uh, it could be kids' activities. It could be a hobby. Uh, for some of us, it could be even areas of ministry and service where we've just overcommitted ourselves and we're finding ourselves doing many things, but our soul is just growing tired and worn down and lacking all gospel peace. Mary valued discipleship so much she saw her need for inner strength and for nourishment from Jesus so much that she was willing to not only leave things behind, but also, and this is so important to see here, she was willing to be misunderstood by her sister for doing so. So often, in the church in particular, we just keep doing things because we think if we say no to something, somebody's going to be offended with us and misunderstand. And that causes us just to continue to say yes and to do more and more when we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. So many applications here. I just think of families. I just think of in our day and age between activities outside the home and then activities inside the home like social media and, and movies and video games and all these things. How little sitting do we enjoy together? 
How little peace do we share side by side? How many meals do we consciously sit down together and say, this isn't about anything else around us. It's about us and the fellowship that we have in Jesus. Let's just talk. Let's just enjoy. You don't need to be a family to apply this. There's, there's so many things for my own individual self. Like my life, whether I have a full calendar or not, is I'm so tempted to be spread thin just by opening different apps on my phone. And how good it would be just to shut them down for a while and sit at the feet of Jesus. How worthy it would be. How healthy it would be. Mary left other things behind in order to gain the most important thing. May we do so as well, King's Cross. Second, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She left things behind, and she sat at his feet. She, she sat down in his presence. That's, that's humble. That, that's, that's a posture saying, I am submitting myself to you. And I would say that this is, Wonderfully, perhaps one of the, the easier steps to take because, because we don't have Jesus in the room before us right now. He's not physically present, but, but Psalm 8 says that the, the world is filled with his glory and the whole world is under his feet. And that's good because sometimes no matter how hard we try to slow down, life is just going to remain busy. So an application of this message, an appropriate application of this message is not to go out and just end all your relationships and, and, and quit your job and just sit at home all day long with your Bible. We can't do it, right? But praise God, we can, by his spirit and by his grace, we can sit at Jesus' feet throughout all of life. He is present with us. He is active among us. And so we can daily, through prayer and dependence, position ourselves before him in a way that his grace infuses meaning into all that we do. I love this quote from Tim Chester. His book is called The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness. All right, he's talking about this stuff. He says, if you wanted to be spiritual, what would you do? Most of us, I suspect, would think of praying or, or singing, perhaps sitting and reading our Bibles alone. We would think of activities that we do away from the world of ordinary life. Spirituality, in our minds, is about withdrawal. It takes place in some inner world. But Jesus conducted his ministry in the context of, of meals and journeys and homes. Everyday tasks, washing up, Waiting in traffic, using the photocopier at work can be occasions for prayer or Bible meditation. Why not write a verse and, and pull it out from your pocket in an idle moment? Why not use emails and phone calls as prompts to, to pray for people? Next time you're stuck in a traffic jam or, or waiting for your computer to unfreeze, think of it as an opportunity to grow in humility and patience. Many think the goal of spirituality is serenity and stillness, but the goal of biblical spirituality is conformity to Christ. It's a wonderful quote because it says, though life is not going to slow down necessarily for all of us in the same way, we can all equally position ourselves at the feet of Jesus in the midst of all that we are doing. Isn't that good? Jesus doesn't need to be physically in the room in order for us to sit at his feet. We can live full lives on gospel mission because 
the harvest is plentiful and laborers are few in Manchester, New Hampshire. We can live full lives of ministry and service, of hospitality and generosity. We can wake up early on a Sunday morning and come in here and set up and rehearse for worship. But let's do it with Mary's heart, with our, our, our knees bowed before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mary left things behind. Mary sat at his feet and Mary listened She listened to his teaching. Mary knew that she needed to be fed. Martha was concerned about preparing a physical meal, but Mary wanted a spiritual meal. Mary wanted the better portion, Jesus says. She wanted to feast on Christ. She wanted her soul to be fed with the bread of life and to drink of living water. This text is so important because in the midst of the chaos of life, too many of us, friends, we're malnourished Christians. We are spiritually parched. The pace of life is keeping us from the, from the peace of Christ and our souls are just growing weary in it. This, this is not just about doing less. This is about getting more of Jesus together. Brother, sister in Christ, God sees that you are parched at times. He sees that you're malnourished at times. Your spiritual clothes are fitting loosely about you. You've grown lean in spiritual things, but God wants you to come to him and to feast upon him because he's given himself for you to feast on. He is the one who satisfies the soul in the deepest ways imaginable. So often I go out and I fill my calendar because I think that's what's going to satisfy. And then when all that comes to naught, I remember, oh, Jesus is the one that satisfies. He's the one that I need. He's the one who makes sense out of pain and gives hope in darkness. But we got to go to him first. We need to take in less of everything else so that we can have more of our dear Savior Christ. Sometimes it's good to empty the schedule in order to fill the soul. Read, pray, meditate, memorize, taste and see again and again that the Lord is good. Fill your souls with the sweetness of grace and mercy. And though your life may not slow down immensely, you will find all of life richer because of what you've enjoyed in Christ. Let me just commend, Jacob mentioned it earlier. This is not to bring attention. Nothing has has slowed me down more. Nothing has caused me to meditate in a deeper way. Nothing has caused me to pray more deeply, more richly than the practice of memorizing God's word. It's, it's something that almost by definition requires you to slow down. Everything we do is fast. Unless you're a brilliant uh, person with a photographic memory, you can't memorize things fast. It takes time. So I commend to you, slow down, open God's word, and and go through the work of committing certain verses to memory. It will change your relationship with Christ. She left things behind. She sat at his feet, and she listened to his teaching. That was Mary's priority, and it was the best priority. In choosing to sit at his feet and to listen to his teaching, Jesus says that Mary chose the best and that it will not be taken away from her. 
Friends, it won't be taken away from us. There's no wasted time in the presence of Christ. So we have considered Martha's practice and Mary's priority. Let's close with the Lord's promise. Verse 42, he says to her, Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. The tempting thing in the culture that we live in that is so busy, the tempting thought is to think that, that to live like Martha, full of activity, brings better results than living like Mary, right? It just works. Martha's getting things done. What's Mary really doing? Okay, she might be a little bit happier at the end of the day, but there's a lot of work out there to get done. And so, so Martha seems to be the one who's checking the checklist off. And so we can be pressured by our culture to produce and to, and to, and to display all that we are accomplishing, to always be, be looking for the next thing to, and to minimize the value of a peaceful and quiet life before Christ. And so listen, how encouraging to hear from Jesus in this verse that though there seems, though there's an outward appearance of immediate profit to Martha's many labors, to her activity, Jesus says there is a far better and eternal profit to Mary's devotion. A humble heart of devotion to Jesus leads to the greatest and most fruitful ministry for Jesus. And Jesus promises that it'll be so. There's no waste of time sitting at his feet. He uses it. It was so for Mary. She sat here. She listened to Jesus' teaching. She prioritized the presence of Christ in her life. But listen, in Matthew chapter 26, we see that this heart of devotion led to radical service. She came in Matthew chapter 26 and fell at Jesus' feet again. She likes it there. She likes it at Jesus' feet. She fell at his feet and it says that she broke an alabaster flask of very expensive oil over Jesus' feet as a way to bless him and prepare him for burial. People couldn't believe how bold her service was. It was radical. It was audacious. But Jesus said that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, that she will be spoken of for this act of service. And she is. Church, feasting on Christ does not lead to passive Christianity. Feasting on the good portion, which never returns void, leads us to the greatest kind of service imaginable. It won't lead towards empty, frantic service, which marks my life so often, it will lead us towards intentional, thoughtful, and praise God, fruitful service. There's a reason why we are so affected by, by Christian heroes like Martin Luther and Corey Ten Boom and, and men like John Piper in our day. These, these people don't just go to their rooms, lock the doors, and sit in front of God's word alone. No, they go in and they feast, and then they turn and they live it out for the glory of God. The Lord promises that to choose the good portion in your day is to choose the lasting portion. It will lead to healthy lives of devotion and praise before him. I began by speaking about how desperately I need this passage. That's true. 
It's a historical weakness for me. I have failed many, many times, but I have also experienced a lot of grace. Friends, I think you have as well. When we experience those moments of sitting at the feet of Jesus and being refreshed by his word and being filled by his spirit, those are the richest moments of our lives. And friends, let us not let the the distractions of this world and the busyness of life cause us to forget how rich that place is. And may we, like Mary, again and again, throw ourselves at his feet. And may we listen to his teaching. Would you pray with me? Father, I just acknowledge how much we need your spirit to take this passage and apply it to our lives in any effective, fruitful way. Uh, Apart from your spirit, we're going to actually hear this passage and feel greater condemnation uh, and just an awareness of, well, I guess I got to do that as well. But with your spirit, Lord, we can be reminded that the whole hope that we have in the gospel is that you are sufficient for all things and that we need nothing besides you. So Spirit of God, I invite you to come and to fill each heart and soul in this room and to remind us in a deep way that you are the greater portion. And Lord, give us wisdom to know what to cut out of our lives in order to have more of you. Help us not to be harsh in it help us not to go around just saying no constantly help us to have Thank the beautiful balance for listening of to this message from king's cross church in manchester new hampshire please call. feel free to share or distribute no, this you. content but do we not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission king's cross church exists to treasure water. proclaim Satisfy and grow in the gospel of jesus christ to find out more about king's cross church please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com Thank you, brother, for serving us. Um, are you anxious and troubled about many things? Jesus offers rest for your soul. What we do now is we actually take the Lord's Supper together, and it actually seems like the most immediate application that we could do of this sermon to say, yes, my soul is anxious and troubled. And when we get up and we come to the Lord's table and we receive, so this is not physically Jesus, but we're acting out the drama. Jesus, you are the good portion. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I want you to meditate on that as we're coming to the table. Jesus, you, not me. I need you. And that's his promise, right? You will be choosing the good portion in Jesus, and it will not be taken away from you. So would you stand as I give the invitation to the Lord's Supper, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. (coughs) For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's table is open for anybody who has trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins 
the Lord's table is a moment where we come and remind ourselves the gospel is our joy and life. If the Lord's prompted anything in you uh, to share with the church, the mic will be up here after the Lord's Supper. You'll be free to share, and then Bill will continue to lead us in singing. Would you come now to the Lord's table?